Well, Father, it is another day's journey, and Lord, we are glad about it. Grateful you have us in the land of the living, Father, which means, Father, you still have work for us to do. And God, as we reach this pivotal moment where the word of God is to be proclaimed to your people, I pray, Father, that you would move me to the side. As a matter of fact, God, move me off the stage so that you can have the center of attention, so that you could be the star, Father God, this morning. For this says Sunday morning. It says, Father, the day of the week in which your son rose from the grave and signaled, Father, a pivotal change in our worship day. Though, Father, every single day of the week is the day that we worship you. In spirit and in truth, Sunday mornings are an opportunity for us to come together collectively as a body of believers with signals to the earth that we are all on one accord. So I pray that on this last time that we're together on this mountain this year, I pray, Father, that a mighty move from heaven takes place this morning so that my brothers and myself can walk off this mountain not with a high, but walk off this mountain, Father God, feeling fresh and renewed. I pray for revival, God. For every man that confessed you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today becomes their charge, their commission to go ye out therefore into all nations. But I also pray, God, that we are convicted by the word not to go backwards just because we have left this mountaintop. I pray, God, that Hume Lake, Father, for my brothers and for myself, does not become a, a place of escape so that we know that on this mountain we can't sin. But I pray, God, that we take Hume Lake back to the valley and the places that we are going. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so today, I want to thank you for being a God of love and a God of grace and mercy. And I pray, God, that this word sits in our hearts so it convinces us, it pushes us so that we might not sin against thee. So let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercy. Blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly of mine iniquities and cleanse me of my sins. But create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a bright spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence and don't take your spirit from me. But do me a favor and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I'll be so careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. Send your anointing. And if you want to anoint me, then kill me in my place so that your people are edified, so that your name is glorified and the devil in hell is horrified. In Jesus' name we pray. Clap your hands, my brothers. And I need you to shout amen and amen. Oh, well, brothers, man, it's, it's good to be back on this last time on this side of glory here on this mountaintop for the year. It feels good uh, to see uh, the deacons on the front row on this Sunday morning. Uh, <laughs> Y'all will catch that later, man. These, these deacons right here, man, they, they kept us in the, in the dining hall super late last night, man. Super late last night. And then they had us in there with no ice cream and no brownie because all y'all took it and ate it. <laughs> so we was in there talking like until like almost 11, huh? Like super late, man. And I'm grateful that y'all are on the front row, man. I love you guys, man, so much, man. Y'all my new little brothers and my nephews who I love and I'll never forget. And I can't wait to see you guys change this world. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's going to come a day where I'm going to sit out there and I'm going to see you guys up here. And you guys are going to be teaching. It's going to be raw. That's going to be raw. It's going to be raw. That's going to be raw. Uh, uh, uh. I'm trying to clap. I'm trying to, I want your brother now, man. Dang. I'm trying to get all the high fives, man. I love you guys, man. I love you guys. Can y'all get a young brother's hand? Uh, 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 ah. Dang, man, that's a holy high five, bro. Uh, but I do want to do something if Jason and the band is okay with it. Um, I want to take a little bit of, of this experience that I've had with you guys back home. Um, 
Some of you I may not ever see again, and some of you hopefully I see in the valley. And as my, my pop told me last night, it doesn't make sense that the only time we see each other is at Hume and we live in Fresno together. Um, but if you don't mind, I just want to take a quick holy selfie. Can I do that real quick? Uh, and then we'll get to the word. Is that cool? All right, so can y'all just look like dudes for a second? All right. Uh, here we go. All right, so y'all, some of y'all got to stand because I can't get everybody in the picture. But can y'all just stand? Act like a dude. Act like a dude. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. All right, now I need you to do me a favor. I need some of y'all to get out in the aisle. I need you to look goofy, crazy, and excited for Jesus, okay? I'm a count of three, and I need you just to act like you believe in Jesus and you're crazy about him. One, two, three, go for it. That's all I needed. Thank you, brothers. Thank you, thank you, thank you, hip hop. Well, tonight, guys, uh, I want to take us to the gospel, or I'm led, excuse me, to go to the gospel according to John. Uh, for the purpose of preaching, I would like us to go to the last chapter, if that's okay, chapter number 21, uh, John chapter 21. Uh, and for the sake of teaching today, we'll look at verse 1 and conclude at verse 14. Um, if you haven't uh, guessed by now and haven't kind of put it together, uh, we've preached four different times and each time out of a different gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now we're coming with John. And the connection that I think is all God is every one of the lessons that we've talked about has dealt with boats, have dealt with water, have dealt somewhat with fish, and have dealt with the same lake. And this is very important, I believe, how God is going to put it together today and how we'll close this thing out, okay? The gospel according to John, the 21st chapter, Verse number one, are you there? Is anybody still looking? Man, they done caught on. Like, if I was, I'm not saying nothing. <laughs> John chapter 21, you'll find these words. You ready? Let's go to work. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, that is the Sea of Galilee, okay? He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathan, from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of the, his disciples were together. That's seven disciples are together. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. If you have a pen, you want to underline Simon Peter, okay? Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Somebody say nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood at the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Children, Jesus called to them. You, haven't, you, have any, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he was naked because he had taken it off, and plunged or cast himself into the sea. Since they were not a far away from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out on the beach, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him who you are because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them. He did the same thing with the fish. Now, this was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. My fascination is with the whole text, but specifically with verse number three. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. If I may, I just want to put a tag to this text as we close out our weekend as brothers together. I want to just entitle this lesson real quick, 
Be careful not to go backwards. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall remain the same. My brothers, it is not an accident that God has put us together. It's really not an accident that last night was such a stirring occasion that at the conclusion of last night, men gave their life to Jesus Christ. Yeah, we can clap on that. That's a blessing. And for every pastor or for every parishioner, every elder, every leader, deacon, or whomsoever that may be here, you all know that from experience, the church has always dealt with this revolving door. If you know anything about church history, you know that there is this revolving door, this great, immense, amazing excitement where a ton of folks give their life to Jesus And then by the time Easter, Mother's Day, or Christmas is over with, you look around for those CME Christians and they're nowhere to be found. The revolving door. If you know anything about youth ministry or college ministry or elementary ministry or even men or women's ministry, the overcomers ministry, celebrate recovery, you discover that your entire ministry is filled with these amazing highs and then these disappointments. And the disappointments is really the fact that you look for those men or those women or those children that were so excited and eager to follow Jesus. And then all of a sudden you look around and they're nowhere to be found. And many times we question ourselves as leaders. We question ourselves wondering, is it something that we've done wrong? Did we not teach the right lesson at that particular Monday night or Wednesday or Sunday? Did something that we said or a behavior that we gave cause someone to walk away? To be honest with you, brothers, I believe that if Jesus was to step foot inside of this building and teach from this amazing pericope of John, the 21st chapter, I believe Jesus would highlight that heartbreak when we read this story. Please understand this, that this is the story, the only story of Jesus with the boat, Jesus with Peter and the disciples, Jesus on water where Jesus is not with them, nor does he come to them. This is the conclusion of the Gospels. And at the conclusion of the Gospels, I believe the one thing that Christ is showing us through that great revelator called John is that even those that are the closest to Jesus at times goes backwards. But the joy of it is that Jesus remains the same. Today's message may not be as crazy as last night's because there is a pivotal place in this message that I believe is important for men to understand before they leave the mountain. And that is, please, brothers, don't go backwards. The gospel according to John should really, by many scholars, those such as John Calvin, scholars such as Steve Lawson, Yes, even scholars such as Tony Evans and John MacArthur all declare and some of their greatest commentaries should really end in John 20. Because in John 20, it mirrors the great commission of the book of Matthew 28, where he commissions his disciples to go out. But remember, in the commission of Matthew 28, he tells his disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait for me. The disciples have done that. However, by the time we get to the 21st chapter, understand Jesus, the crucified Christ, is now the risen Savior. I mean, he has risen to the perspective, to the knowledge of even defying the mere odds of the Jewish custom. Because the Bible says that the first to see him are women, Mary Magdalene, and the women run and they know that Jesus has resurrected. And Jesus even tells Mary, go and tell the disciples and Peter. There is a reason why. It is because Peter's disappointment, Peter in his greatest disappointment of denying Jesus three times may possibly feel as if he has ostracized himself away from Jesus. 
I mean, the two greatest pains that we see at the conclusion of Jesus' life is Judas who betrays him and Peter who denies him. And whether or not you want to believe it or not, it is probably a little better to be betrayed, especially if you know Judas is going to do it, than to be denied that a person even knows you by a man who says he would never leave you. Peter does this three times. The Bible says that the reason, well, one of the reasons why I would say theologians would suggest why this Jesus telling Mary is so powerful, Jesus telling the women is so important, is because there is no way that men would tell women anything regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the uneducation in the Jewish custom of women. So for a woman to let a man know something that only a man would let another man know would show that this is not a myth, that this is not a fairy tale. But Jesus defies the odds. He breaks traditions and he breaks customs because he needs us to know the full authenticity of his power and his miraculous resurrection. Jesus doesn't just stop at rising and hanging out in the cemetery. No, he goes and he makes himself known to his disciples. He hangs out for about 120 days. He kicks it. He walks alongside of folks. He appears in a room where the disciples are cowardly hiding and then reappears again when Thomas decides to show up late. And now, after having a conversation with them and showing him the nail prints on his hands and feet, the hole in his side, and showing him the scar marks that are around his head, he tells them to go and I will meet you where I met you. Again, he says, I will meet you where I met you. Go to the place that I originally met you, and I'll meet you there. Well, let's get this party started. By the time we get to 21 and 1, understand they are at the Sea of Galilee. Everybody say the Sea of Galilee. Remember, every message that we've dealt with has been surrounded by this Sea of Galilee, this place where 13 of the 33 miracles that Jesus performs is done, this same place where he walks on water, the same place where he tells the, the, the wind to shut up and the waves to obey, this same place which he crosses over to the other side, literally leaving the Jewish custom, going over to hang out with Gentiles so that men who are incarcerated, that folks from church would never want to go see, men who have lost their identity over there at the tomb of Gadareans, men whose identity has been lost so much so that when Jesus asks them what's his name, he has to answer like an incarcerated individual. He says, I am not a name. I have become a number. And if you know anything about our prison system, whenever you are incarcerated, you no longer have a name, but your name has become a number depending on the number that you are in the criminal justice system. And Jesus has a way of defending Defying the odds and releasing the captives so that even people that are incarcerated feel free when they're connected to Jesus. I mean, a woman with an issue of blood touches the hem of his garment. And because of a blood transfusion without the need of St. Agnes or Kaiser, immediately her blood is cured. Y'all will catch that when you get home. Jesus is so dynamic, he's so bomb.com that not only is he able to turn tap water into Stellarosa, not only is he allowing a man that is deaf to have the ability to hear without the need of a hearing aid, not only is he allowing Stevie to wonder and Ray never to have to worry about seeing without the acceptance of seeing with his natural eyes, Jesus, the crucified Christ, the risen Savior, is back where he met them. And the Bible says he shows up a little bit late. We know this because Scripture says that Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, I understand to many of us that doesn't seem big. But understand this for a second. The word Simon Peter, those two words, is very pivotal to our discussion this morning. Because if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus has changed his name from Simon to Peter. But John understands something about Jesus, that Jesus, when he's angry at Peter, he calls him Simon Peter. Well, many of you don't think that that's real, huh? But many of us have mothers and fathers. My name is DJ. But whenever my father is mad at me or I do something that ain't right, my father calls me David Joseph. And my mama will say, David Joseph Lee Kreiner. 
Because for some reason, you're not acting like my beloved. I just said it and y'all missed it. What John is doing in the text is he is showing us that Peter ain't acting like the Peter that has been converted. Whenever Jesus says, Simon Peter, let's go to work. What Jesus is saying is, Simon, you are remind, Peter, you are reminding me of the Simon before I converted you. When John writes Simon Peter, he is saying that Peter is acting like the Simon before he met Peter, before he met Jesus. When he says Simon Peter, it's almost as if Jesus is scolding Peter, saying, you're not the Peter that I grabbed. You're not the Peter that I saved. You're acting like the Simon that you were before I met you. And my dear brothers in the text, when Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing, it is bigger than simply him hopping on a boat. It is really him being so impatient on waiting on Jesus to manifest himself in front of him that he has decided to go back to the occupation that he was doing before Jesus converted him. And my dear brothers, when you leave this mountain, please do not allow your mountaintop experience to become your Jesus Christ. Do not let Hume be your Jesus. Hume may be the place you met Jesus, but it's not the only place that Jesus is at. When you leave this mountain and you go back to the valley or you go back to Los Angeles, please understand that the same Jesus that is up here at Hume Lake is the same Jesus that will be in Santa Clara, the same Jesus that's in San Jose. He's the same Jesus in Fresno, the same Jesus in Clovis. You don't have to come up here just to experience him, but when you know him, brothers. You can take Jesus wherever you go. Don't go backwards. Touch a brother and say, don't go backwards. The Bible says that Simon Peter, Peter says I'm going fishing. Can I tell you another reason why you shouldn't go backwards? Because when Peter when Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing, the other six say, we're going too. Man, y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I need you to wake up a little bit, y'all, please. Come on, go with me, it's Sunday morning. I'm used to folk talking and hollering back at me. All right, holler back at me for a little bit, all right? Simon says, I'm going fishing. The other disciples say, we're going too. Wait, wait, hold on. You missed it. There's only two other disciples that are accustomed to fishing. The rest of them ain't never fished before. Y'all missed it. When Simon says, I'm going back to the old me, the other disciples, some of them who never used to do what Simon was doing, does what Simon is doing because Simon is that influential. Am I preaching, bro? Watch this, watch this, man. If you're not careful, you will drag people to go back what you used to do. And they never had that problem before they met the Lord. But because you're so influential and because God loves you so much, he has given favor over your life, the spirit of influence. And if you're not careful, you will drag people into the sin that you've already been delivered out of. And you'll watch people fall in what you've already been, what God has already got you up out of. Be very careful that now that you know the Lord, you do not go backwards because there are people that followed you to the Lord that will follow you away from him as well. It's in the text, I'm not making it up. He says, I'm going fishing. And they say, we're going too. And they went out and they got into the boat. <laughs> the boat. That boat, that old rugged boat, that old rusted boat, that boat that Jesus used for ministry, Peter is now using to influence them to go backwards. Because that boat was so influential, it really wasn't Peter that was the influence, it was the boat. 
And brothers, if we're not careful when we leave this mountain, people will see our gift and they'll follow the gift. But if Jesus isn't on the boat, we're leading them to hell, not to heaven. He gets in the boat and to show you the beauty of how awesome God is, is they go fishing all night. They go drinking all night. They go smoking all night. Y'all just missed it. I'm going to say it again. Uh-huh. They say, we're going out all night. Jesus never told them to go out. Jesus said, wait for me. Take the boat that I use. Take the boat that I bless you with. Take the boat that I gave you influence over and wait for me to come and bless the boat again. But they decide to use the boat that Jesus blessed to do what they wanted to do. And you have to be careful not to be so arrogant in your gift because Jesus blessed it to think that you can operate in your gift without the person that gave you the gift. You have to be very careful to get to a place where we feel like we can preach without the anointing. We can sing without the anointing. We can play without the anointing. Understand this, man. Oh, you can play, but you won't be influential. You won't be influential because the influence ain't you. The influence is the anointing that comes from heaven. You can teach, but you won't have no power. You can sing, but you won't have no anointing. Do you know about people that can sing, but there's no power in what they sing? Because anybody can hold a note, but only Jesus can hold a person that has the note to grab people to the note so they can see the God of the note. Only Jesus has the power to change folks. The Bible says all night. Somebody say all night. night. They're trying to do what they used to do. Watch this. Before they met Jesus, they could catch some fish. Before they met Jesus, they enjoyed what they was doing. I'm preaching to somebody, man. Before they met Jesus, fishing was an enjoyable experience. Uh Uh-huh, watch this. But now that they met Jesus, doing what they used to do ain't enjoyable no more. Oh my goodness. It's almost as if they're doing it just to kill time. They're, they're drinking just to kill time. They're, they're hanging out just to kill time. And before you know it, you start discovering that the one thing that you're doing just to kill time takes up all your time. But I know a God from heaven that is so gracious and is so merciful that even when you don't have patience to wait on him, he has patience to wait on you. Send the text. The Bible says all night they're fishing. And scripture clearly says they catch nothing. Wait, pause. Let's do a little bit of work to the text. Understand this. There's a reason why they catch nothing. They catch nothing because Jesus is the God of the universe and the God of earth. He intentionally makes sure the little fish finding Nemo does not find the net. Can I just give you why? Because... Jesus never wants fish to be on a boat that he's not on. Oh, man, it's a tough one in here today. Jesus never wants fish to be on a boat that he's not on. To you, it's just fish. But to Jesus, they're not fish, they're men. I'm going to say it again. To you, it's just fish. To you, it's just folks at the club. To you, it's just the liquor store owner. But to Jesus, that's a child of his. And he refuses for you to influence someone not to know him or to think that you can be connected to him and act any way you want to act. So he keeps fish away. Y'all, I'm preaching that. When you are not connected to him, folks won't be connected to you. The only individuals that will be connected are people that know better and will still do what you're doing. But my God in heaven will keep folks away. They will keep sheep away. Keep people away that typically would be drawn to the net. Well, God will actually keep the fish away until you reconnect with him. It's here in the text. They're unsuccessful all night. But in the morning, somebody say in the morning. morning. 
when they wake up in the morning, after fishing all night, they see a man on the shore. And the Bible says that they don't recognize him. Well, whenever you're away from him, you don't recognize. Wait, but wait, let's, let, let, me, let me just show you this real quick. This is interesting because Jesus even talks and they don't recognize his voice. But wait, here's, here's what's crazy. They're only 100 feet away. I'm preaching. I want you guys to really see this. I want to, I want to paint this. I told you it's probably not going to be the hollering one because I really want you to see this. They're 100 feet away, and they don't recognize what he looks like, nor do they recognize his voice. Wait, but when he's walking on water in the darkness, they recognize his voice. Wait, you missed it. Two years ago, he's walking on water in the dark. They can't recognize him, but they recognize his voice. Now, they've walked away from him and went backwards, and they're only 100 feet away. They don't recognize him, nor do they recognize his voice. Watch this. It's actually more dangerous to be connected to him and walk away than to never be connected to him at all. Because when you're not connected to him, you don't recognize him because you've never met him. But when you are connected to him and walk away, you can be less feet away and still not recognize who he is because the enemy gets excited when we disconnect who we should be connected to. It's in the text. They're only 100 feet away and they don't recognize him. And he asked this question, you haven't caught anything, have you? Now, here's what's crazy. Many people think that Jesus is actually asking a question. He's not. We know he's not. We know Jesus is clowning them because Jesus does not say brothers. He does not say men. He says children. He's literally saying to them, you are acting like children. You're not acting like the men that I wanted to be on my team. You're acting like little kids. Well, what do little kids do? Little kids are impatient. Little kids can't sit still. Little kids can't do what mom and dad told them to do. If mom tells them, don't take the cookies, they go and touch it anyway. If dad tells them to sit still, they got to move and squirm. I'm sorry, I love you, but I got to say it. If dad tells them, don't go up on top of the ladder, they want to try it anyway. And what Jesus is saying is whenever you go back to sin, you are not acting like grown individuals eating meat, you are acting like children who are still on milk. And I thought I spent three years with you, graduating you from breast milk to real meat. So you're acting like children. You got to do something instead of waiting on me. And so he says, you ain't caught nothing, huh? That's a slap in the face. He is literally asking them, did I tell you to go fishing? It's almost as if you go into the store with your mom and dad and they tell you from jump, don't touch nothing. If you touch anything, I know we're in a new society where, you know, CPS is real, but I grew up in a house where the belt was real. If you touch anything, I'm going to deal with you when you get home. So if you touch something, you get home, and they ask this dumb question. Didn't I tell you not to touch it? <laughs> Jesus is saying, didn't I tell you to wait for me? He is yelling at them. He is fussing at them. He is saying, how does it feel to do it on your own? Am I preaching to anybody? Brothers, have you ever tried to do it on your own and felt unsuccessful? Can I give you something to smile about? Jesus is still there. Here's what he says. Cast your net on the right side. Somebody say right side. Y'all, that's so real that if we was on a Sunday morning, folks would have hollered. I got one brother that's about to, bro, I'm about to give you permission to go crazy. 
He says this, you've been doing it the wrong way since you walked away from me. I refuse to embarrass you. I'm just gonna give you one more chance. Now, do it the right way. Come on, brothers, I thought y'all would. Look, look, what he could have done was embarrass them. He could have brought a multitude of people to see them fish and not be successful. He could have videotaped them out on the water and then let it go viral. But instead, he still covers them and shows what it means to be successful when you're connected to him. And brothers, this is where I want you to smile at because every single time you go left and every single time you do it wrong, you have a God that still covers you. You haven't been embarrassed. You haven't been exposed. He hasn't shown your sin on a big screen television like every Everybody else would do, but the God in heaven still protects your integrity. He still protects your ministry. He still protects your marriage. And even today, up here at Hume, there's one thing that my God wants you to know is whenever you do it the wrong way, it's God that covers your wrong and tells you now, do it the right way. Is there any brothers in this chapel that can say, DJ, I want to do it the right way. I want to fish like he tells me to fish. I want to do what he tells me to do. I'm tired of being unsuccessful. I'm tired of my marriage having ups and downs. I'm tired of not getting along with my children. I'm ready to do it the right way. If there's any brothers in the building, I want you to stand and say, I'm ready to do it the right way. And if I have to do it by myself, as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. Do me a favor, brothers. Say, I'm gonna do it the right way. What does the right way look like? The right way means that you do it according to his word. You don't do it when you want to do it. You do it when he tells you to do it. Which means, brothers, when the band gets back up here and the spirit of God tells them to tell you to lift your hands up, you don't say that ain't the way I do it. That's the left way. You obey his word and you lift your hands. Because there was a man that didn't want to lift his hands. But because the father told him to lift his hands and stretch his hands, he obeyed the word of the father. And because his hands was lifted and because he was stretched, you now have a right to lift your hands because you don't have to stretch your hands. Brothers, in the name of Jesus, I hear my God saying, tell the brothers at Hume Lake to open their mouths and give me glory and give me praise because their sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Take a seat, I'm almost done, if you dare take a seat. But I'm about to bring this bad boy home. And I may act Baptist when I do. The Bible says, bro, that John says, it's the Lord. Y'all, that's a praise moment, Jay. Because every other time, the only person that was speaking was Peter. But John says, I feel it, bro. I wish I had one. I wish I had an organ, because I'd really get happy, man. On this one, John says something that's real. John says, every time I waited for Peter, but bump Peter, Peter ain't acting like Peter. I've been following Peter, and every time I follow Peter, it seems as if I follow Simon. John says, bump Peter. That looks like the Lord. And John tells Peter, who really should have been telling John that that was the Lord. I'm gonna say it again. John 
tells Peter, who really should have been telling John, that's the Lord. Can I give you your shout real quick, brothers? You got to stop waiting for your pastor to tell you that Jesus is in the building. Because there are times your pastor is so defeated that even he can't see Jesus. But if you see that Jesus is in the building, you got to stop waiting for your moment to say amen. And you got to give yourself permission to open your mouth and notice that Jesus is in the building. Because whenever Jesus shows up, some man needs to open their mouth and let the world know that Jesus is here. So, when the insignificant John, the youngest of the disciples, the one that is so humble, the one that is so shy, that he never identifies himself in any of the five books that he writes. He never identifies himself in the Gospel according to John. Never identifies himself in first, second, or third John. Never identifies himself in the Revelation according to John. No, all he says is the one that Jesus loved. Because John says, my name is not important. What's important is the fact that I'm beloved by Jesus Christ. And there's a few brothers in here that can say my name important. My position is not important. My status is not important. The fact that I own a battery company ain't important. What's important is the fact that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And I need some brothers that can look at somebody and say it ain't about my position or my status. What it's about is the fact that Jesus loves me. Hey, thank you, Lord. John says, it's the Lord. And when John says, it's the Lord, Peter, the soon-to-be pastor, Peter, the one that is to be the leader of the church, recognizes that he's uncovered. My goodness, man, the pastor has to get checked by a member. And when the member says to the soon-to-be pastor, Jesus is in the building, the member don't check the pastor, the pastor checks himself. He says, wait a minute. I got too far deep in what I've been delivered out of. Y'all missed it. Many times what fishermen would do in the old Jewish custom is they would take their clothes off in order to make sure that their clothes do not limit them from bringing in fish. Many times even if they had to jump in to bring the fish out. Paul said, let's go fishing. Paul didn't think that he would return back to the occupation of fishing. But when you do something for so long, you start missing what you do when you start back doing it again. And now that Jesus has shown up, Paul, Peter notices I'm uncovered. And he grabs some clothing to cover himself because he's ashamed. And brothers, when you notice, you know what? I've jumped back into something I had no business jumping back into. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit hits you, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is what the world calls a conscience. For those of us, I try to be as much elementary as possible just in case you don't understand terms and that's cool because sometimes as preachers, we preach over your head instead of preaching to your head. Conviction is that voice, that spirit that you have when you accept Jesus that God gives you called the Holy Spirit as a comforter to remind you you're not supposed to be doing this. And the moment you realize you're not supposed to be doing it, in a brief moment, you gotta get back to Jesus. Notice brothers, this is the first time that Jesus doesn't walk to them. Jesus says, you know where I'm at. I came walking to you because the enemy was tempting you so you couldn't see me. I'm not coming to you 
I've never left. You come back to me. Am I preaching to anybody? Am I talking to any brothers? Jesus said, I'm at the exact place I told you I would be. If I leave to come to you, that means I'm a lie. And I refuse to lie on my word. I need you to get out of what you're in because I'm not in it. Okay, all right, all right. We think, oh, this is going to be tough. We think that we need to help Jesus. So Peter thought because Jesus was in the boat, the boat was blessed. But if Jesus is no longer in that boat, you should not be where he's not at. Jesus says, it's not the boat that's blessed. It's where I am that's blessed. So if you notice that Jesus ain't in that church, if you notice Jesus ain't in that ministry, if you notice Jesus is not a part of that friendship, stop staying in a place where Jesus was but has moved on. You have to get out of where you're at to get to where Jesus is. And Peter jumps out. He literally does what Jesus told him to do to the net. Cast your net on the right side. And Peter cast himself in the, y'all don't hear me in here. Peter obeyed the word. I'll cast my net on the right side. Peter says, well, I might as well cast myself on the right side as well. The Bible says, when he gets to the beast, I gotta wrap it up, I know we, yeah, no, I I do, I do. I made a promise to Jason. When he gets to the beach, Jesus is on the beach. Jesus is chilling at Pismo. He's at Venice Beach. No, Jesus wouldn't be at Venice. (laughs) He's on the beach and he's cooking. He got fish and bread on charcoal. (laughs) Okay. Okay, okay, that doesn't make sense. Gotta go to work a little bit more and I'm tired. Okay, get to the beach. Remember, Jesus just asked them, you ain't caught no fish. When they get to the beach, he got fish. Where? Where the fish come from? Man, wake up, bros, please. The Bible is that raw. He asked them, did you catch fish? He's, I want to make you some food. But when they get there, what they were lacking, he already has. One theologian, John Calvin, dares to suggest the reason why Peter and disciples went fishing is because they were hungry. They were tired of waiting for Jesus. So they decided to go get it on their own. And when they tried to get it on their own, they were unsuccessful. So when they got back, Jesus was literally telling them, I told you to meet me there because everything that you need, I already got. The question that people ask is, where did he get it from? That's not the right question. The question shouldn't be, where did he get it from? The question should be, why are you worried about where he got it from? You should just be be concerned about the fact that now you got it. Okay, maybe then Becky, I'm gonna say it again. Holla, then shout, okay? Instead of worrying about where he got it from, maybe you should just be happy that now you got it. Stop questioning how he did it and just be happy that he did it. Instead of questioning how the bill got paid, just be happy it got paid. Instead of questioning how you got the job back, just be happy you got the job back. Because the reality is you don't deserve to have what you got. But because of his grace and his mercy that works behind the scenes, he gives you what you don't deserve so you can thank him because he deserves. Wait, but that's just one. There's one more. You ready for this? When Peter gets there, Actually, there's two more. When he gets there, there's fish and there's bread. 
Y'all don't remember this, huh? This has happened before. In the book of Matthew, Jesus has 5,000 folks following him. He goes up on a mountaintop and he notices that there's nobody that's willing to give him some of their fish sandwiches. There's this little boy that got a lunch pail that his mama gave him, and on the lunch pail is Transformers and Black Panther, Wakanda for life. The little boy says, I'm willing to give it to you, Jesus, because I'd rather you have it than I have it, because I gotta ask you to bless it before I eat it anyway. He gives him his fish sandwiches. Jesus takes it, breaks it, and gives it to all of the 5,000, not including women and children. Then he has 12 more baskets that are full for the disciples to have as well. Jesus does something that's interesting. Because the fish in the Greek that's located in this particular chapter, that kind of fish is only located again in one other part of the Bible, and that is the feeding of the 5,000. What Jesus is showing in the text is if I did it before, I can do it again. I was only feeding, I'm only feeding seven of y'all. I fed over 5,000 back then. So if you saw me do it then, how come you don't think I can do it now? And brothers, that is your shout when you leave this mountain. Don't think that God can't do what he's done up here, down there. If he did it before, he can do it again. There's one more. One more part is that he's cooking on charcoal. The charcoal is very important because when Peter shows back up, he sees the charcoal. It's a reminder to Peter because the last time Peter saw charcoal was when he was sitting around a fire of charcoal and they asked him, do you know that man? And he says, no, I don't know him. Then some Romans walked up to him and says, don't you know him? And he says, no, nah, I don't even know the dude. And then a little girl, that's interesting because Peter was bold enough to cut off the air of a soldier, but he wasn't bold enough to stand up against a little girl that was playing with Barbie dolls. Little girl says, around the charcoal fire, do you know him? And he says, I've never met the man. As Peter comes in, swimming in excited, he stops and looks down at the charcoal. And it reminds him of when he denied Jesus. But when he looks up, he doesn't see a Jesus that's angry with him. <laughs> he sees a Jesus that says, I missed you. Oh, can I end right there, please? I'm gonna end right there. Because there's a lot of brothers in here that are gonna leave this mountain and deny Jesus. And it may not be a verbal denial as Peter, but someone is going to ask you about your faith and you won't speak about it. A woman is going to ask you to sleep and you're gonna do it. Someone's gonna offer you something that you've been delivered from and you may take it. And the beauty about my Jesus is before he forgives you of it, he reminds you of it. But the last shout is this. When you read it, Peter's the only one that sees the charcoal. It's almost as if Jesus puts the fire out before the other disciples show up. Okay, that's not big. Okay, 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 I got you. I got you. Uh, you were there? Okay. Let, I'm, I'm, let me try it one more time. Just in case Peter doesn't get it, after breakfast, he pulls Peter to the side. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, I do. He said, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, sir. He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, you know I do. He said, then feed my sheep. And everybody misses the theological understone that's presented right there hermeneutically in the text. For every time that he asked him, do you love me? It was for every time that he denied Jesus. And he pulls Peter to the side intentionally because at that particular moment, the only person that knew what Peter's sin was, was Peter. Y'all still don't catch it, huh? All right. When he's sitting with his disciples, 
He says to his disciples at the Last Supper, there was one among thee that will betray me. Then he flips it and he says, the one who dips his hand in the same bread bowl as I do is that one. Then he secretly looks at Judas and says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Y'all still missed it. He is literally saying to Judas, I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent. Then he tells Judas, I know it's you. Whoever dips his hand in the bread bowl is that one. But no one else notices that Judas does it and dips his hand with Jesus because it's almost as if Jesus covers him. (laughs) Then instead of blasting him out in front of the 11, he secretly tells them, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Watch it. He never says, go and sin and do it quickly. He says, whatever you're going to do, meaning if you're ready to repent, do it quickly. If you're not, then get out of here. Your Jesus is so intentional about the love for you that he never intends to expose you unless you want to expose yourself. My God is so awesome. He's so incredible. He loves you so much that even when you mess up, he's got enough to cover your mess up when you repent and get up. It doesn't give you a green light to sin. For Paul says, shall we continue in sin just because grace abound? God forbid. But he does say this, my brothers, when I want to do good, evil is always present. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this life of sin? Thank God the answer is Jesus. He says, when you leave this mountain, don't walk down from here thinking you will never mess up because you will. But get up. Don't stay down. Allow your sin to be a reminder, not of how bad you are, but how good Jesus is. There will be many people that will attempt to condemn you for the sin that you commit. Brothers, I have no heaven or hell to put you in, but I do have a word of God to give you. For there was no condemnation for them that have put their trust in Jesus Christ. My Jesus loves you so much that he is more interested in your get up than your fall down. And I know this is accurate because even after he shows them the charcoal, reminds him of the fish and the bread and sits and has communion with them, the Bible says that he sat and he broke bread and he fellowshiped with them. Brothers, that's the last shout. Because he sees them sinning. Sees them going backwards. Sees them messing up. Sees that they went back. But he still serves them. The Bible says that he served them. He didn't let them touch the stove. He said, that's my job. Even though you're not acting like mine, I'm still going to treat you like you are. And the Bible says he fellowships with them. And on this morning, my Jesus just wants to fellowship with you. He wants to tell you that nothing that you have done can separate from his magnificent love. He's not saying don't worry about what you did. No, please. Push yourself not to keep on doing what he's already delivered you from. But please don't let that stop you from getting close to Jesus. He loves you that much. If there's any brothers in here as I close this morning, that is just like the Peter. That's acting more like Simon than acting like Peter. Went back to the profession that you've already been delivered from. Or know that when you leave this mountaintop, that profession is going to be waiting on you. 
I invite you to stand on your feet so that I can give you a covering of prayer. All I want to give you is his word. And my prayer is that after we say amen, that you are surrounded now by men that won't jump in the boat with you, but will tell you the boat don't have Jesus on it. So if that's you, I invite you to stand right now. Brothers, I'm going to pray for you. And then I'll turn over to our band. And I'll let my brother do what he needs to do before Jason dismisses us all. But I'm going to pray two prayers. I'll pray the first prayer. And then after that, I'll give instructions to the second. And it will not be long at all. Dear Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I believe you have met us in a real way. And Father, this morning is a moment of victory, while at the same time a moment of instruction. There was a reason why you told us to wait before we go down. Because if we would have left yesterday, we would have left with this emotional high, with this quote-unquote spiritual power that we feel like we will not mess up. But here's the reality is that there is a point where we may mess up. As a matter of fact, if we live in this world, we will. We'll think something we have no business thinking. We may look at something we have no business looking at. We may even touch something we have no business touching. And God forbid, we may even go back to what yesterday evening we've already said that we do not want to go back to. So my prayer in the mighty name of Jesus, the crucified Savior, that left the cross vacant and left a tomb empty so that he can return to a throne that he wants filled, is that, God, you would commission my brothers this morning. That, God, we are grateful, God, that you didn't walk away from the beach before we came back to shore. We're grateful that you sat with us. You fellowship with us. You supped with us. And for these, my brothers, I pray that when they leave this lake, that they don't go back. But God, the not going back does not mean that they don't go back to the lake, but they don't go back to who they were before the lake experience. And God, I pray that just in case, God forbid they do, that they don't give up and commit suicide or go into depression or give and feel as if they're worth nothing. But if they just look back at the place that they originally met you, because that's the message of the text, is that, God, you will meet us back at the place you originally met us. It's the mindset of, God, you reminding us how excited we were when we met you, how thrilled we were that we came in contact with you, how, how, how gracious we were that you found us washing our nets. And, God, that is the excitement of the text, that even when they pulled in the fish that was larger than the original amount that they pulled in, that the nets didn't break. And, God, when we were washing our nets before we met you, we were repairing nets without any success. But now that we operate on your word, you reminded us that we'll catch way more than we ever caught before. And those won't be fish in the sea. Those will be men that are walking the face of this earth. And we will have the ability to hold on to them. It will not be a revolving door. So in the name of Jesus, breathe on my brothers right now the breath of life. Do CPR right now as you are breathing into them, God. Let them breathe and push out every bit of dirt and toxin that is occupying their system. So that as they inhale and exhale, they breathe the fast oxygen called your spirit. And when they leave this mountain, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they feel different. They walk different. They talk different. But more than that, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that my bros live different. And so now, God, before I close this prayer, I am going to ask for every supporter, every brother that may not be standing, but is willing to stand for, with the brother that is standing. I'm asking you to stand with that brother right now. Whether they're across the room or whether they're next to you, would you stand with them? And God, as we leave this mountain, I pray 
for their support system. And here is the reason why, God, I pray for it. Because if Moses needed two men to hold his hands up, then God, so does my brothers. So brothers, if you would just lift their hands. And I'm going to ask if you would hold their hands up. Just hold it up and don't let it drop. Hold it up with your two hands. Hold it up in the name of Jesus. Don't let it drop. Don't let it drop. Don't let it drop. Don't let their hands drop. Hold it up. Don't let it drop. Don't let their hand drop. Don't let their hand drop. So God, when that woman comes to tempt God, I pray in the name of Jesus that my brother holds their hand up. I pray, God, that when I'm weak, my brother is stronger. I pray that when I feel like quitting, my brother won't let me quit. I pray in the name of Jesus that even when my friend wants to go left, God, I'm going to pull them right. I refuse to allow another brother to drown in the sea of sin, a sin that we've already been delivered out of. So in Jesus' name, I pray for my friend. I pray for my brother. And I pray that his hands don't drop. And God, if you put me at my brother's side, I pray you give me the strength to keep his hands up. We are in this together because your hands were lifted. Victory came as a result. And because my brother's hands stay lifted, there is victory in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Would you just hug the brother next to you and tell him you love him. God bless you, brothers. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it.